Starships riding fire across the sky. Heroes and villains exchanging laser fire. Desperate spacers struggling against an alien monstrosity. Vast planetary vistas. Flying cities. Moonscapes. Mad robots. And first encounters. In short, high action science fiction adventure that stimulates your sense of wonder. Cepheus Deluxe puts you in the shoes of an adventurer visiting distant stars and encountering the unknown. Whether you are a seasoned player looking for a rules-like game or a new gamer wanting to experience what science fiction role-playing games are all about, Cepheus Deluxe opens your way forward. The future awaits. Welcome to another episode of Gaming from the First Age. I'm First Age, not really, and I'm here to, well, to ask you a very personal question, actually. I kind of feel we've got to know each other, you know? I, I just do. I think, I, think we've, I think our relationship has come to the point where I can ask this question, and I can just ask you directly. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing it obliquely, I'm not, I'm not sort of intimating or finding a way around the edges of this conversation. I'm just diving straight in. Because, you know, we're good, right? So my question to you is, do you, do you tingle? Do you? I mean, I mean, do you? I mean, no, it's, just, it's fine. It's fine. Because I reckon you probably do. And it's fine. It is all right to tingle. What do I mean by tingle? Well, what I'm saying, and I think you'll feel better about it when I probably explain myself a little bit. You'll probably go, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I, I definitely do tingle I was worried for a moment there but no what do I mean well you get a new game yeah you get a new game or you see a new game you even see it on on, on your screen you know or maybe you're maybe now we're, you're getting to your friendly local game store and you're holding it in your hands in your arms perhaps and you get the tingle and the tingle is where having perhaps shallow dived I'm going to say skimmed the game, you just think, yeah, oh yeah, I want to get this to the table, I want to get this game, I want to play it, or I want to run it, and can I do it next? Well, in fact, can I do it now? Um, you, over there, do you, do you want to play this N now? That's the tingle. It, the, the tingle is this, and it's not ephemeral, you know, it doesn't just come and go, you continue to tingle. And you just, and really, the only way to sate your tingling is to get that game to the table. And it's happened to me. I tingle, by the way. I, just to say, you know, if you, if you, if, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid or embarrassed. I tingle, and it ha it's happened. It happens quite a bit for me. I think I, I get quite excited about games. I, I'm excited about the possibilities that they bring. You know, because that's what they're about. I know they're going to help me to explore. Uh, strange new worlds and tell fantastic weird stories and have a lot of fun with gaming friends. Either people I know well or people I don't know well. 
we're just in that together and we're spending the most valuable resource that we have which you're doing now which is spending our time and so of late you'll probably know friends of the show i'm sure you are um will know that i yeah fourth edition dungeons and dragons got me tingling boy did it make me tingle you know i started a movement okay all right you know tongue was slightly in cheek but only slightly and you know got to play lots of fourth edition i got it to the table i'm playing it i'm loving it what a great game i decided well let's have a convention what yeah seriously i love it so much let's get people together and let's encourage creating a, a, a play space for it and let's play it let's talk about it on twitter you know <laughs> all the things that you do because uh, that's what we do i don't know that's a tingle so fourth edition was a tingle well today oh tonight. Uh, this afternoon, this evening, whenever it is I record, I want to talk a little bit about a new tingle. And my new tingle is Cepheus Deluxe. It's just out. It's arrived from Stella Gamma Publishing. They've put it out. And I, I do have Cepheus Core Rules. And I have various iterations of Traveller. Because this game is basically Traveller. Traveller, uh, I, I probably don't need to tell you, but I'm going to, is one of those very, very early uh, tabletop role-playing games. It's one of the, the sort of three that I started with, you know, uh, AD&D 1st Edition, uh, a little bit of RuneQuest 1st Edition, the white cover, not broadly seen in this country actually, but my mate Rick got a very early copy, and the classic Traveller game. Three books, science fiction adventure, in the far future, um, as the game is developed uh, and as, it, as it's broadened out, it of course really is a great science fiction role-playing game. Uh, it, it introduces and gives you vast vistas to play in and it gives you all the tools to, well, go away and create things. There's a gearhead quality to it. You can make your characters, you can make your worlds, you can make your starships, lots of different careers. Yeah, it's a great game. And one of the things I love about uh, Cepheus Deluxe and indeed the whole Traveller family is that certainly for most of the iterations of Traveller it is a very very simple core mechanic 2d6 add your characteristic bonus and add your skill bonus and try and get an 8 plus if the task is a little bit more difficult okay it might be 10 it might be 12 it might be 6 if it's a bit easier but fundamentally you're rolling two dice um, nice curve and adding a couple of bonuses onto it and you know bob's your uncle uh bob is your uncle he might he might be i don't know why bob would be your uncle but you know, there we are so it's a very simple game to play and that applies and and uh right through the game it's fairly traditional you know the um game is constructed around the referee and players the referee creating the game Obviously, you can throw in as much co-creation as you like. Um, you can apply and layer things on. And I think that's one of the strengths about Traveller and Cepheus Deluxe is the modular nature of it. So you can add in components and pieces from the developing library of 2D6 games, especially as it's all, well, most of it is open gaming content. So it's been around since the early 80s. I have played it since the early 80s and have continued to drop in and play it ever since. So that's 40 years of play, which ain't bad. 
So what is it about Cepheus Deluxe then? Well, I'll come to that in a moment. But that's essentially what I'm going to talk about. It's about Traveller, maybe a little bit about its various iterations. You'll know in the podcast, there's an earlier episode, I encourage you to go have a listen, where I bring in some good mates who have been with me for some time on my gaming journey. And we have a really fun chat about Traveller in its rounded sense. So go and take a look at that maybe as a, or listen to that as a little bit of background. But I'm going to talk specifically about Cepheus Deluxe on here and why, well, why I think it's a great version of Traveller and kind of why it made me, well, why it made me tingle. But before we get there, I thought we would have a listen to some call-ins and just listen to some friends of the show and I'll do some responses. So let's have some call-ins before we get back to tingling, okay? So just, I don't know, hold yourself in. Okay, you ready? Let's do some call-ins, go on. Hey, it's Arlen, um, live from Helen's Wasteland, calling in to say that I've really enjoyed your last two episodes, Mr. Gaming from the First Age, um, I, uh, I said I was going to remove myself from the rule zero conversation and it's not really removing yourself from the conversation if you keep responding to things you like. So I will just say that I have enjoyed both the zero sum game episode and the episode before it on, um, long-term and short-term and itches and all that sort of stuff. Um, both of them were very fun episodes and I sort of selfishly hope that you'll be able to continue a uh, regular release schedule of the podcasts because I think it would be fun for me at least to listen to those. Also, I wanted to say that I have been enjoying following along with your RPG a day um, comments on Twitter. I think that's actually a really good way to do it. That um, seems like most everybody doing some version of RPG a day has decided to do kind of short, small content for each day. Um, but I think that uh, if you can, I, I certainly can't because I'm super long-winded, but if you can kind of cut your thoughts down to a single tweet, that's a great way to present a little bit of uh, something to spark discussion that doesn't necessarily need to be a kind of grand presentation on any of those given subjects. So I've been enjoying that too. And I thought I would say so anyway, um, take care, man. And I will talk to you soon. Hey, thanks Arlen. Lovely to hear from you. Yeah. The podcast. Oh, you know, I, I've just, I've got such a lot on. <laughs> I've got such a lot on. I, 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 I do like the, the occasional video and you know gaming wise I'm all on just to get prepped for the stuff that I'm doing I've got convention games and so on and it's really weird so the podcast the podcast is that thing where I just kind of when I've got the moment I will do something and I'll just I'll just do it and increasingly I think I'm, I'm wanting to put out content rather than trying to over curate it if you know what I mean so if it's a bit rough and ready soz <laughs> but yeah I do like to do them and, and, I'm, and I'm so glad you're enjoying them uh, yeah, the, the the RPG a day thing. I, th I agree with you actually. I think I think if you can tweet it, then it it probably means that you know it's not consuming too much of your time because it's every day, isn't it? Pum pum pum. Thirty odd days of of thoughts about um, RPGs. I can only manage a tweet, 
and I can probably do that while I'm on the go. So that's kind of quite a good thing to do. Um, the other thing I've learned is, oh, what's it, what are they called? Collections? I think they might be called collections. I can't remember. But I was trying to bring all the RPG a day. I mean, you can do threads, can't you, in, in Twitter, apparently. But I sort of, I didn't start with a thread. And then I couldn't really work out how to get old tweets into a thread at least not very easily. Uh, I, to be honest, I struggled. I did try for a while. And then I saw Collections. And Collections is a way of bringing together whatever tweets you like in a sequence and calling them a collection. And then they all come together in a single link. So I I, that was quite quite useful. And it's not usual that I would do that. But given the RPG a day, I thought, well, actually, that probably makes sense. Not only that, but I found on um, Blogger, if you if you, if you grab the collections code, it's just a small CGI piece of code, which you can embed as code in Blogger as a blog post. It pulls in all your tweets into a blog post auto magically, even with a click to see more tweets. Basically, I blogged about it by just using the CGI. Do I mean CGI? I don't know. What, do I mean CGI? Anyway, a bit of code from Twitter. Bong. Off you go, and it represents Twitter-like in your blog or your thoughts. I was insanely pleased about that. I mean, I've gone off on one now, but I'm in I was insanely pleased about the interrelationship between these bits of tech and how they can represent each other uh, without you having to do any re sort of rewriting. Anyway, more thoughts. Uh, you, 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 you set me off. So I will try and keep the blog going. Uh, the blog. Um, the podcast going. I've got a blog as well. See, I've just got too many things. Anyway, I've, I've burbled. But cheers, Arlen. Take care. Talk soon. Hey, Jason here. Great summation of the Rule Zero argument and or argument discussion. And I, I think you really hit the nail on the head that it was a bunch of things mixed together, you know, and, and ultimately it wasn't so much about Rule Zero or house rules, but it was about rulings over rules by inadequate or power-hungry GMs. And the fact that having more codified rules can help eliminate that is something that Arlen is also a huge fan of. As far as 4E and Rule Zero go, interestingly enough, Barry overshadowed the GM podcast, episode eight of his podcast, from OD&D Rule Zero to Hero, found the same, you know, there on page 188 of the DMG, that same reference, and that's what he pulled out as about house rules, about rule zero for fourth edition. Um, by the way, it's not, was not too soon for another podcast. It was great hearing it. I really enjoy your podcast. So you, yeah, it definitely was not too soon. Best of luck on the streaming game and, and how that goes. I tend not to have time to, to watch streaming games. Um, and, and I, and I'm, I'll be interested to see what you think of after it. I do find, I think, and having talked to other people that have done streaming games and GM them and been long running stream games, that definitely people act differently in the streaming game than they do a non-streaming game. Knowing they're being recorded does have a psychological effect, whether people admit it or not. And, and my understanding is there have been studies about that as well. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do a streaming game. It doesn't mean the streaming games are bad. It, it's just a, a piece of information to use, you, you know, to your advantage. But it's not a you definitely not any reason not to do it. And, and I'm, you know, sorry, I wouldn't have time to do it. Just like, I'm sorry, I'm not on Twitter. So I'm missing your RPG day contributions. That, that truly is my loss. 
Hey Jason, nice to hear from you and, and, and thank you for your thank you for your call in. I really enjoy doing the zero sum game, sort of monologue really. Just to kind of thrash it out of my system. And yeah, I think it was a kind of a blended mix of things which made it difficult to get your arms around. I, I don't think inconsequential, but I don't think it was almost about the thing that people thought it was about. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun, and and and, and thanks for your feedback on that. Um, fourth edition and using using rules clarity away as a way of minimizing the potential disruption that you can get. I mean, it minimizes it doesn't it doesn't get rid of it from DMs who are a bit challenged about the role that they are trying to undertake is a thing, and I think fourth edition is just one example of it. And I think, you know, rulings rather rules. Well, you know, I'd rather just have a really, really good framework. Um, and that's just, just where I am, I guess. But that's just kind of kind of it. But yeah, no, thanks very much for your comments. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Hello, mate. I think you're being a bit hard on yourself. Uh, the Zero Sum Game episode seemed bang on. You got a, a good handle on Rule Zero. It is a bit of a non-event. It's just a concept for covering those eventualities that can't be covered by a rule set. Without it, what are you going to do? Admittedly, there is some concern around players and GMs that feel one or the other is is not making sensible, considered rulings. You're always going to get that. The contention that you you perhaps missed out on on the Discord was really around the language being used, this business of unhealthy, dangerous, stuff like that. People getting a little bit triggered, understandably so. Um, but yeah, I, I thought you did a good job. Take care, mate. I'll catch you later. Oh, cheers, Colin. That, that's Colin from Spike Pit uh, Podcast. Uh, well worth a listen. Um, um, thanks for dialing in, Colin. Um, yeah, yeah. It's that 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 rule zero thing. Uh, it was quite fun to do it. Um, it was it was good to sort of have a chat about it. But um, I feel like you know it's interesting, isn't it? I feel like I've got it off my chest now. <laughs> I wasn't that bothered about it, and I, I, I sort of I sort of talked around it for a while. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good topic, and it was one of those ones which got the juices flowing. Missed the Discord um, conversation about it. Um, but yeah, it was fun to do. And thanks very much for your calling. Talk soon. Cheers, Colin. The last thing I want to mention is, uh, again, on safety tools, your point is incredibly well, ma- well made and it is something to think about. I have a family member that's that's on the autistic spectrum that I game with. And, so, and you know, having things spelled out and having those you know, things black and white in front of you is very important. So I think you're right. I I don't see a negative to, I'm a big fan of Session Zero, and whether your group has been gaming for, this is the first time they've ever played together, or they've been playing for a long time, when you sit down and discuss things like campaign length and house rules and all that, there is zero harm in bringing in, you know, the safety rules as well. So it doesn't mean you have to have X cards in front of you, but, you know, discussions are, are, are well worth having. So thank you for your content. I do think you brought something to discussion. I look forward to your next episode. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I'm, I'm completely with you on safety tools, to be honest. I'm trying to use them as much as I can. 
and to find ways of bringing them in, especially uh, as I think you suggest, you know, in sort of convention games and in settings and environments where you don't know who you're going to get around the table. I I do find them helpful for me, as I, as I've described, and you don't know even when you think you know somebody you know because of the multiplicity of of experiences that you can bring to a role playing session you just you can't you can't be sure of the interaction between those presented experiences and the real life experiences of the people around your table you you you, you, you genuinely can't predict every interaction otherwise well where where would the fun be <laughs> to a degree so I, I i do think they're probably going to feature for me quite a lot their utility may well diminish as you rightly as, as i think you've said before their utility will diminish as you genuinely get to know good friends around the table and i think we're we're an next card to be played in my regular groups i would be genuinely surprised but i have but i have seen it happen I have seen it happen slightly unpredictably. It's happened, so um, yeah, safety tools worth worth considering, and it's been interesting looking into them and working out how I might use them in my own play. Cheers again, thanks. Thank you to the call-ins from Arlen Walker, from live from Pelham's Wasteland. We had Jason Connolly from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And Colin Green from Spike Pit. So, cheers all. Now, I don't know about you, but lockdown has opened up a huge vista of gaming for me. The well, one of the sort of silver linings of the very dark cloud that we've had for the past sort of year and a half or more. And I've done a lot of fantasy D twenty stuff, as as you probably know, if, as you've listened to the show, and. You know, a lot of that's been 4th edition, some Pathfinder as well, and probably in equal measure, actually, and playing some 5th edition. So altogether, that's really rather a lot of D&D, actually, in various guises. Uh, and it's been great, but I've been looking to sort of break out a little bit from that. I think I may have mentioned the sort of a desire to break out. I don't think break out and put it away. Uh, I'll, I'll keep playing some of that, but I'm going to need to streamline what my, my play to allow me to have some space. And I was looking at science fiction. I'm still looking at various options. I've looked at Genesis, uh, a favourite of mine. I think probably I'll get some Genesis to the table. But I did think, yeah, go on, I'll go back to Traveller because I do like it. I have got a lot of the current sort of glossy incumbent, shall we say, the, the, the marvellous mongoose publishing versions of the game. They are quite glossy. I, I'll, I'll describe them as... Well, I describe them as pricey. That's not perhaps not very fair, but their their PDFs certainly are. Um, if you get into their Kickstarters, they're tremendous. I think their their PDFs are a little bit pricey for me, and always make me sort of mm, do I want really want to. But they but but the quality is good, allowing for some for some errata. But the quality is good, and they've worked a lot on the on on, on the visual quality and sumptuous nature of their games. I think Monga's second edition in particular is a fantastic version of Traveller done a cracking job with that and they have produced some stunning supplementary material adventures settings so you know you, although i'm excited and tingling about cepheus deluxe you know i'm i'm not i'm not dissing if you like them sort of the, the, if you like the main publisher i'm going to call them the main publisher of 
what I would describe as playable traveller, and that's Mongoose, Mongoose Publishing's version. And I do, I do have a, <laughs> a bit of a shelf load of those. And so obviously my first thought when I came back to Traveller was, well, which setting, which scenario set am I going to use with Mongoose Second Edition? Because it's it has all the DNA of that core and simple game, 2D6. Some very, very nice thinking has gone into that. Quite considerable playtest as well. Quite an open playtest. I know that Mongoose are... Or at least they were, unless it, unless this has changed, they were planning to do a further revision of the of the basic core rules. Now we were told, I mean, it's it's not going to be a, a refactoring of the game. The game is absolutely going to stay as it is. But all the number inputs might be different, and the number outputs might be different. Even if the rules that manage those inputs and outputs will stay about the same. Now, I did think, well, that's fine. And of course, I can ignore the fact that that's going to happen and just carry on playing a very good version of Traveller. But it does mean that probably at some point we'll get a new core book. And because the numbers are all different going in and the numbers might be different going out, at least in places, at least in places, I might feel, knowing me, (laughs) that I'll feel a need to buy another glossy Mongoose publishing book, which in itself is not a bad thing. And I'm happy to support the company because they've done a grand job but it does mean sort of a little bit more change um i've got reft box set there which is sort of sitting on my shelf glowering at me saying well you you kickstarted me are you gonna are you gonna run me then it does actually that actually is what it says you know in the morning having a cup of tea sat in my front room and i, just, I get berated by it honestly I've, I've, i don't like going into the front room anymore it's just you know strident really I don't blame it. I don't blame it. You know, I spent some money on that. And I don't know, again, what you're like. That doesn't make me tingle. But, um, you know, I do think, I've spent how much on it? I better get that to the table. Or what was I thinking? I mean, you can't go there as a gamer, can you? You cannot go there. But I do. I must be some sort of, I don't know, some sort of, I don't know, Presbyterian streak in me or something. I don't really know. Anyway. So, yeah, Traveller in its many, many guises. There, there is the lonely fun of universe building. I do, a bit, I like a bit of that. It's very simple to play. I think it needs some more, and we've talked about that on the podcast. In fact, we discussed it a little bit on our on our, on our chat in, in the earlier edition. I think I'd like to see something around some sort of more social, sort of social side maybe to the game. Um, it does have. It's, it's, it's a classic skill based game. You want to do a thing. You roll your dice. You apply an appropriate skill. Do you get the difficulty or not? If you do, great. And in fact, if you get higher than the difficulty, that's your effect number. And effect numbers can influence how well you've done something or influence damage or uh, influence um, the effectiveness in which you do things. And it's kind of a pass-fail system, pretty much. Um, So in that sense, you, you, you could say it's quite trad. It's quite old school. It works, uh, and it's certainly simple to play. So it's got a lot about it, and the, as I say, the Mongoose Second Edition version of the game is very good. So Cepheus, I like the idea that people have gone out there and you know they have picked up the open gaming content. Now the open gaming content is Mongoose First Edition, put out an OGL sort of an open gaming content piece that's been picked up and has been reproduced and developed by others. And, you know, I think we've got quite a number of people to thank for that. 
and in that chain is Stella Gamma, who have put out the, mo the most recent iteration of Cepheus, Cepheus Deluxe, and that is part of a family of open gaming content. I like the open gaming content nature of it. So, uh, okay, so fine, you're getting a full version of Traveller for about seven UK pounds, maybe eight. Do the conversion with your local, you know, your, your local currency of choice, but it's, it's a song. You're getting a 212-page full science fiction role-playing game, simple to play, lots of nice tweaks to it. And I'll speak a bit about the tweaks for not very much. The, that's, that's, that's for the PDF. The hard copy is just about to come out, and, and I'll buy it. And I'll buy it because I want to support Omer and Stella Gamma and all the work that they've done, and to say thank you, actually, for putting out a great version of Traveller. So the open gaming content's lovely. And of course, around the Cepheus engine, we've now got additional games. We have Sword of Cepheus. So uh, again, Stella Gamma, well done. Um, they kind of put out a very nice kind of sword and sorcery style game. So if you want some sorcery in your Cepheus Deluxe science fiction, blend in some magic, lob it in. Uh, it's complimentary. You can start to blend different ideas. I think Independence Games has recently put out uh, a, a Western, a Western game, um, which I haven't looked into yet. But but look look out for Independence Games because they do the Clement Sector as well, which is a tremendous sort of science fiction setting for Cepheus. They're they're quite they're, again they're another another company who are champions of the Cepheus system. You can take ideas from both of those. Uh, I, you know, Zosa Games, Paul Elliott, what a star! Uh, instead another star there's lots of stars bright stars gleaming gl sort of glittering hostile uh, zosa games hostile i picked that out as an absolutely amazing ashcans industrial grim dark alien sort of serial numbers filed off alien uh, setting awesome uh, they've, they've they've just brought out colony which looks excellent i'm gonna have to get it i haven't yet got the color hardback of hostile I will. I mean, Christmas is coming. Winter is coming. Christmas is coming. I think I might just say to me, Mrs. Oh, go on. My 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 main prezi might be that because you know it looks tremendous and it's hostile is great. And again, you can pick and mix and look and draw out. You know, you, you want a particular type of xenomorph. Look no further than <laughs> than hostile. And so you've got this blend, and you're continually looking at ways to bring pieces in, and you can develop your own game. And it's interesting, when I wanted to move to Traveller, mostly the gearhead nature is found within a set of rules. So, you know, I, I want to build a world. Fine, it gives you, how do you construct a main world? It gives you some tables and gives you some ideas and off you go. Great. I was actually doing, well, the thing that I like to do is sort of blend the rules as well. Kind of get that, just get that right blend that works for me. And... I was sort of starting to fiddle around with it, thinking, well, I could I could base it around Mongoose Second Edition, and then I could use some other pieces of other games, probably Cepheus related, Cepheus Hostile, or or, or maybe um, the Cepheus core rules themselves. Maybe just have a look at the blend of those and see how I want to do things. And then Cepheus Deluxe came along, and I thought, well, it's part of the family. Um, it might have some nice ideas. I, I want to support Stella Gamma for all their work. I'll just get the copy of the PDF. Why not? And I got it, and I put it down, and I had a little look at it. It only took a skim 
of the game. And I mean clickety-click, skimmity-skim. Oh, that looks nice. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, nice. Oh, I like that. And by the end of my skimmity skim, what? How long would that have taken? Well, how long? How long do your skims take you? How long is a skim for you? Two hundred page book. Skim it. You're just skimming. I'm. I'm a slow reader, by the way. I don't. I've got friends who just devour novels. I'm rubbish. I can't do it. I'm just really, really slow. So, I'm hoping in retirement I'll actually read some books. But um, I skimmed it in an hour. I'd say an hour. And when I'd finished skimming it, I thought, No, wait a minute. That's my base. The tingle. Tingle, this is my base. This is actually the game that I won. It's It's got some things about it that I really, really like. The core DNA, it's Traveller, you know? It is Traveller. It's based on the uh, Mongoose first edition OGL, which is itself a very nice, clean, slightly modernised, slightly modernised reincarnation of classic Traveller, that game that I played back in 81, 82, whenever it was done really well so uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't branch off it doesn't jump off it doesn't miss jump uh, into strange and unknown vistas but at the same time it had a lot of things about it that brought together a game in a book or a book to be when it's published physically published but a book that does everything that I want and it got me excited so in the next segment I'm going to talk a little bit about what were the things about this version of Traveller, having got these great other versions and these other iterations around the Cepheus open gaming content, why was it that why was it that Cepheus Deluxe stood out enough, just enough, for me to say, yep, that's my base. I might build some things around it, but that's my base. So, Cepheus Deluxe, why is it my base? I mean, it's true to say that Cepheus Deluxe ha- has the core components. A nice laugh, sort of, I'll say laugh path. Yeah, it's a nice laugh path. I mean, sometimes you are laughing at some of the things that happen, but it's a, a nice life path <laughs> character generation system. It's quick and it gets you quite a nicely themed character. Okay, in the 30s. And when I started playing, I'm sure, you may have found the same thing with Traveller. You know, you're 18 and you're playing and saying, what, I'm 30? I'm nearly dead, aren't I? I mean, I, what, uh, I, I better adventure fast and loose. I mean, I can get I can get killed, I suppose, in the game. It doesn't matter. I'm nearly dead anyway. From the lofty heights of my age now, uh, 30, oh, bless, child, really. <laughs> but anyway, you get a nice rounded character and it's got all the, all the essential components that you need. So what was it about it? I'm going to skip through a few, what I'm going to call highlights, and you might think, oh, I don't know, you might look, you listen to me and think, oh, Graham, honestly, really? That's just tweaking around the edges. Well, for me, there were nice tweaks. But let me just skip through a few things. So, character generation itself is the familiar life path system. So you basically roll your characteristics, you choose a career of some description, and then they've got a good smattering of, of uh, careers in there. And... Yeah, you pick out skills, you get you get um, career events that take place every term. You may get pulled out into life events and you will build up, you know, um, advancement in your career. And you will also get traits, which I'll come which I'll come to. One of the things I like about this game is it, it, it sort of kind of it wears its heart on its sleeve, really. It says, you know, don't roll your skills, just pick them. 
Typically in Traveller, you, you roll a d6, you get a random set of skills, you come out. Well, they just say, now forget that. Build the character you want, pick your skills. Just pick the skill levels that you want, and you'll come out with a nice set of skills. The other, the other quick thing I would say about the character generation listing, it's clear. Now, that, now, now honestly, to Traveller players, they'll say, really? What? You can just read it and understand unequivocally how it works, because you don't do that in, in Mongoose Traveller, in my experience. In my experience. Even the flowchart isn't particularly right in, in, in the main mongoose rules. Maybe that's one of the reasons they're going to um, you know, re rewrite it slightly. For clarity, that would help. This is clear. It's simple, it's clear, and you pick your skills. You don't pick your life events and you don't pick your career events because that's, that's life throwing things at you. And so, you. so you randomly generate those ones. But I like that blend. Picking your skills, curating your, your character a little bit, and getting some life events. No, you do not die in character generation. You haven't done that for, <clears throat> well, quite a long time, actually. Uh, although you can if you want to. There's, the, 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 there's an Iron Man, I think, optional rule, which means you can you can peg it, you know, halfway through character generation. So you, you, so you come out with a very nicely themed character. What else about characters? Well, I have mentioned traits. So you get, uh, I think it's one trait every two terms, a term being four years in a career. A trait is a thematic signature talent ability that you have that um, influences the way the game plays. Uh, typically, you bet, you bet, essentially, for many of them, it's like rolling advantage, but on a very specific thematic thing. So they brought that in. You get a couple of those. If you've done four terms, you'll probably have a couple of traits. It's got some operatic lifeblood in this, and I'll come to lifeblood as well. It's a slight operatic feel to it. You have hero points. Hero points can either be individual hero points or group hero points. They are acquired by making spe specific effect rolls, effectively sort of rolling well, rolling not so well, actually. And, you know, you get uh, hero points that can mean that you can re-roll if you don't like the roll that you've done, or you can make the referee re-roll if you don't like the role that they've done. So it gives you some sort of power over a setting and gives you more of a chance. Operatic lifeblood. Lifeblood. So Traveller Traveller always had the essentially this sort of some six core characteristics, three physical, three I want to say sort of mental, psychological and social. So six in six in all, half physical, half not. In, in most versions of Traveller, your three physical characteristics are also kind of your hit points. So if you get damaged, it comes off your endurance first. That goes to zero. You are wounded. Um, you, you can then sp spray them around your strength and dex. Because your attributes or your characteristics, sorry, are being reduced, the bonuses that they can provide are reducing and in fact probably heading into minuses. Um, which is obviously affecting your ability in the game. So there's a bit of a bit of a death spiral kind of there. Two uh, two uh, characteristics are at zero. You're unconscious. Three characteristics at zero. You are dead. In Cepheus Deluxe, I like the way I do actually like the way that they've pulled out a a stamina and lifeblood track out of your effectively your endurance characteristic. So your stamina is equal to your endurance characteristic plus your athletic skill the idea being you've trained yourself physically that gives you a bonus to your core endurance characteristic 
that stamina is what I want to call a heroic buffer. So, I mean, you know, on average, a characteristic on two dice is going to be seven. Let's say you've got an, I don't know, an athletic skill of one. You've got a stamina of eight. This basically, this, this, this track is the first one that is affected by any damage. So it's like a buffer. So you can reduce that. If your stamina is still a positive number, you are not wounded. You, you, you kind of got a scratch. It's just a scratch. You're bruised. And stamina zooms back. It, it's a replenish, a quickly replenishable resource. So that's your stamina. And then you've got your lifeblood. And your lifeblood is twice your stamina. And your lifeblood is real wounds. Um, and I, I haven't got the book in front of me, but essentially if, if it's more than half, then you're kind of sort of minor wounded. I think you get a minus one. If it's, if it's, if it's more than half, then you need to make an endurance test, eight plus. Of course, your endurance isn't affected by this. This, this is a separate track. And if you make that, you kind of keep going. If you don't make it, you go unconscious and you're at minus two. So it's got, it has a slight, a slight spiral to it, but it's, it's, you know, it's kind of managed almost separately and it doesn't affect necessarily your skill rolls because they'll be using the bonuses from your characteristics if they give you any. So, so I quite like that. So you've got some, some, some differences. You've got hero points, you've got traits, you've got a slightly different way of doing wound tracks. And I like each of them. I like each of them. And together with the slightly more player curated nature of the life path, slightly, I like what that's done. In terms of the number of skills you get, it feels to me a bit like Classic Traveller with the extended books. So you've got a really good range of skills. The skill list themselves, I will also say, has been rationalised. One of the things I like, sorry, one of the many things I like about Cepheus Deluxe is it just uses the base skills. So in Mongoose, you've got specialties. So if you take engineering, you then cascade. There's, there's a lot of cascade skills. So you can have engineering jump drive, engineering maneuver drive, engineering you know power plant, engineering fridge freezers, you know. And essentially, the rule, the way rules work, is you, you put your points in probably one of the specialties. If the thing you're trying to do is not your specialty then you're probably operating at probably around about skill zero unless you've got points in that specialty. Now, what that tends to mean is, is that you're proliferating skills in areas that are only strongly applicable in specific circumstances. There are other cascade areas like science and, and gun combat and other things. Cepheus Deluxe just says, no, you've just got engineering. And if you do engineering stuff, you make an engineering role. You know, you know, you, you've just got gun combat. If it's a if it's a, if it's a boom boom stick, just just roll your boom boom stick gun combat. It's fine. Don't don't just don't sweat it. So although so you've got a good range of skills, and they are more broadly applicable as well. So I think that gives you quite a nice rounded character. And I quite frankly prefer the slightly more simplified skill list, or I prefer probably not messing around with specialisations. Just give me a nice thematic set of core skills. Again, maybe slight, that slight feeling of being slightly more heroic, maybe slightly, slightly more operatic. Well, that, that still wins for me, actually. And so, overall, characters, good job. Are they recognisably traveller characters? Well, yeah, of course they are. You know, it's the same characteristics, roughly the same sort of skill distribution uh, and skill types. But 
it's got some extra tweaks and they're all really, really good. So characters, really well done. Like those. And that started to sell me on the game really, really straight away, actually. I thought, yeah, I like this. What else, though? Is there anything else about it that made me sit up and start tingling? Well, yeah, there were other things. So they do a very good job with the different scales. So you've got uh, person scale, you've got vehicle scale, and you've got kind of sort of starship scale. And the way that they deal with the interrelationship between these different scales interoperating in a conflict situation is just very, very straightforward, which is they have a matrix. And this matrix kind of says armor, armor is scaled at either none, light, heavy, or actually massive. Um, and then the weapon types are graded by size, small arms fire, heavy weapons, or starship scale kind of thing. And you, you look on a matrix. And effectively, the way it works is if you're firing a small arms at a lightly armored vehicle, it will have no effect unless you get an effect number on your to hit roll of six or more, in which case you shift on the matrix to the left, which basically makes the target effectively an unarmored target rather than lightly armored target. And then you get a result. In this case, the result will be a surface damage roll. So you can roll on the surface damage table and maybe do some damage to the thing. And that cascades up into starships as well. Starships are rated with, well, possibly unarmored, but certainly light, probably more typical, uh, heavy or supermassive if the ship is over a certain tonnage of size. And then weapons similarly will either, you know, have an effect, have a surface effect, be strong enough to get an internal effect as a default, or are so large that actually if you're hit, your ship will just evaporate. So that's probably for your meson sort of spinal things firing at a tramp freighter if it can hit the, the uh, tramp freighter. More on that in a second. So nicely done. The armor ratings give you, basically matrix you into a particular sort of damage rating system, which I think is quite nicely done. I'm sort of really impressed with that. I haven't played it out. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that. I think it simplifies it. Um, I like the fact that we're sticking with, if you hit your hits will get rolls on tables. Those rolls on tables will give component-based effects on your ship. That There's no hull ratings or hull points on vehicles as it stands currently in Cepheus Deluxe. You get component-based degradation um, and then, you know, eventually, basically, bits fall off it. That vehicle or that starship is no longer useful to you. Does it very well. I think it does it very well. So you've got this scaling and you've got damage nicely put together. The other main thing I think about, I suppose, chases and maybe starship combat is something called position. Now, position is an abstraction. And I think it's a really, really good abstraction. Sometimes you need abstraction. I mean, it's all obviously abstracted to one degree or another because it's a game. But this abstracts distance and a whole series of other effects on one die roll. And what you do is the both pilots, or all, all pilots in a starship battle, combat battle, will roll 1d6, um, maybe, maybe 2d6 if you've got a particular trait, you know, and get the best thereof. I think there's, I think it's called an ace. 
if, if you're an ace, then you get to roll 2d6, but typically you roll 1d6, you add your pilot skill, you add your dex characteristic bonus, and you add the maneuver rating of your ship, typically between 1 and 6 for that, uh, and you see what your result is. If your position is higher than your opponent, then you get a better modifier. It may still be a minus, actually, but it's a better modifier because you've got a superior position. If your position is worse than, so it's less than your opponent, well, that gives you a DM of turret-mounted weapons, anyway, of minus three off the bat. Now, minus three in this game is a big deal. 2d6, minus three, you need an eight plus, that doesn't help you. So position is all. It's abstracted, it's quick. You're not looking at distances. You're looking at relative position of forces and the effect that has on that combat round. There's something very similar going on, which I haven't got to yet, on chases. Chases have got like a position-like system as well, which looks really, really good. So a lovely abstraction. I think this will really speed up Starship combat, actually. I think it'll do a really good job for that. I'm looking forward to seeing that in play. And certainly, certainly, I would want to apply position back into, for me, the thing that doesn't doesn't really quite work for me is, is the Mongoose 2nd Edition. Some of the Starship combat doesn't work, particularly the dogfighting rules, which are a mess as far as I'm concerned. I really don't like them. But anyway, anyway, that's blah, blah, blah. So, nicely done again. I'm probably going to just sort of hold fire there a little bit. As you can see, skipping through the game, there are just moments where I think, I like that, I like that, I like that. And it happened throughout the text. There's actually another quick one. People with good gun combat skills are more difficult to hit because they're better at understanding combat situations. Your combat skill is a minus DM to hit for others. Interesting. It's an optional rule. You can do the same with melee, but it's there as a sort of, again, maybe a slightly heroic option. There, there, there are mook rules. Grunts, I think they're called in this game. Nice. I, I, I like a good mook rule, don't you? Makes me tingle. So you've got all that. You've got all that in play. It's got some nice additional psionic rules. You can create robots. Starship construction, familiar volume-based construction, just you find in most Traveller, you can build all sorts of starships. Fuel has been simplified. Fuel only applies to your jump, so to your faster-than-light travel. Um, things like your manoeuvre drive and your power plant, which drives your manoeuvre drive, while well, the fuel's just part of your annual maintenance, really. I mean, what a, what a dream that would be for our cars, wouldn't it? Well, actually, you don't worry about fuel. It just, it just goes for a year. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, small effects there. You know, it means that smaller ships have got slightly more cargo space. Slightly different, probably, in terms of, of the way that they're configured, but not, not really very majorly. Lots of lovely... And there are tweaks throughout the game. So, Cepheus Deluxe, it has just enough in the core to make me think, yeah, that's my base. I want to I wanna play. So, in the next segment, I'll talk about what I'm doing with it, because, you know, that's fine. But what am I going to do with it? Let's see. The thing about Cepheus Deluxe is, of course, you could apply it to the standard sort of third Imperium charted space, which is the sort of core setting, if you like, that comes with Traveller. Um, you could do that, absolutely. No problem. I've got some pieces that I've put together for that. That's obviously possible. You could even apply it to some of the Mongoose 2nd Edition very good you know, scenario material. 
strangely, I don't know. I looked at it and I thought, well, the tingles are making me want to pick out on the web. There are, there's a whole host of nice random generators for sectors. You can build a whole sector of space by clicking a button, pretty much, pretty much. Um, I mean, you'll get a whole set of gobbledygook names for planet systems and you won't necessarily get quite exactly what you want, but it'll give you an, an editable text file with all the core main world, you know, characteristics. Um, their size, you know, their population, their, 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 their hydrographics, their atmosphere, uh, their political setup and so on, all generated for you at a push of a button. And I did start to think, well, something about the freewheeling nature of Cepheus Deluxe makes me want to go and build my own stuff, do some world building. And so that's what I'm going to do. That's what I decided to do that. And I have basically taken the Orion arm, our Orion arm, put obviously Terra Sol in the middle of it and built out a whole sector structure just in a simple spreadsheet to give me some context for where I'm going to do my actual play. I haven't detailed much of it. But what I have is a core, the Empire of Stars, which is an insular, very high technology, quite rich, but slightly stagnant set of noble factional houses that are very much inward looking unless they have to look outward. So they have strong borders and quite a squishy centre of, you know, sybaritic noble houses continually bickering and arguing. Now that's that's the core. Um, around that core of the, the, the Empire of Stars, uh, which, which is centred in terror, are a series of what the Empire of Stars, or Aos as it's known, has is a series of provincial sectors. These provincial sectors are, oh, slaved is perhaps a bit too strong, but they are subservient to Aos and are there as places of industry, places of resource that the noble houses will and do have rights to tap into. And so they are, they're quite an interesting middle point. And then outside of that, if you can imagine these as layers of an onion, we've got Hinterspace. And Hinterspace is, I'm not going to call it the Wild West, because actually over time, and I'm setting this about, I don't know, a thousand years in the future, over time, Hinterspace, which is looked down on, down on from Aos. Aos don't go out there. Well, actually they do. Aos send what they call their envoys. And their envoys are... Well, supposedly they are, you know, it's a great privilege to be an envoy, to go out into hinterspace and, and bring the light of Aos to the, uh, you know, the cold, dark, you know, smog-ridden, flat-capped, you know, hinterspacers. But um, actually, they're probably disgraced nobles who have to have, have to sort of somehow get recompense for whatever dreadful thing they probably didn't do um, by going out into hinterspace amongst the hoi polloi. But actually, when, when they get out there, they find a vibrant setting of developing worlds that are starting to create their own identities out on the fringe apparently of civilized space so we've got hinterspace so i'm going to set it out in hinterspace further down the orion arm probably trailing of of aos so i picked out a sector and i haven't generated the full sector but then i've looked at one subsector within that sector so you're looking at a much smaller area this is all just context and that small area I've called this sector, uh, the subsector uh, Eventide. It's actually the Sirenshaw sector, 
and it's eventide subsector and I've done the generation on eventide and created a map and so I've got a subsector it's out on the fringe now the other thing that I think is interesting is is we, I want to make it a little bit more space operatic maybe or dynamic it's not, it's not it's not a closed setting which has been stagnant for thousands of years it's a very vibrant changing setting and I'm gonna have I'm sorry but I'm gonna have an alien threat Yes, I am. An alien threat, even further trading, which is pressurising and coming spinward. So it's pushing into hinter space aggressively. And I've, I, th I think we're going to have it such that EOS, this, this sort of insular, uh, rich, self-serving set of polities and states and noble houses, have started to realise, summits up, out trailing. There's something going on. Now, obviously, they just want the hinter spaces to absorb that and sort it out for them because they can't be bothered. But they're sending out their envoys to try and find out more about what this alien threat is. The alien threat, there's a story behind the alien threat. There's a story why they are pressing spinward. And they're pressing aggressively, really aggressively. They've got, you know, infiltration ships. They've got large cruisers that are coming in. And they are stomping on the very outer sectors of hinter space far to the trailing the player characters come in at a at eventide which is sort of on the edge it's not quite on the edge that the, the, it's subsector g for you traveler nerds um so it's not quite on the very edge of that sector but they are but that, that subsector is starting to note significantly that there are refugee ships jumping into the subsector from the subsector to the to the trailing of it, which is actually called Causeway, so the Causeway uh, subsector is under a huge amount of pressure because this alien threat is pushing, pushing aggressively. Lots of conflict, lots of opportunities for player characters to get sort of worked up and integrated into that conflict. Quite an interesting and fun set of uh, developments. So I've I've basically created my eventide world as well the capital of the eventide subsector and i've got another string of worlds to create each world will have a you know it's it's core characteristics probably a little map and some text about what it's like um to give me a setting to play this game in and that's what i'm doing with it so i'm going I'm to create the eventide subsector build out the worlds use some of the online resources the traveler map there's a very nice subsector generator out there, there's quite a lot of stuff actually where you can plug in. Uh, there, are, there are sort of map generators, and I'll use all that and I'll just plug it all into a series of resources which can then be tapped into. Well, I hope some players at some point. What will I do with it? So, I've got an idea of a setting a thousand years in the future, out in hinter space, pressured by an alien threat, excitement, uh, uncertainty. As that pressure starts to take hold on hinter space and certainly the uh, trailing sectors, it disjoins and, and, and crushes and pressures the, the structures that are in there, creating panic, fight or flight, and uh, a dissembling of the structures that are in place, which creates that pressure and tension that players can go in and make a difference. But what will I do with it? Well, don't know. But I've, I'm, you can sort of hear that I'm tingling. Um, I don't know. I mean, at least I'll go to the Albert and Wizard staff and some of the other smaller conventions, which which are absolutely fab in in, in the UK, 
Um, grog meets another. I've got to go to grog meet. I haven't done that. And indeed, sort of, you know, Furnace, North Star, Seven Hills, and well, run some convention games using it. I mean, I mean, really, if I've gone that far, I may as well kind of use it. You know, I could end up running a small sequence in Eventide and just play out some adventures, and maybe, maybe that will help build out the game along with my fellow players. You know, that quite nice. So I, I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> I want to actually get this game out to the table, uh, virtual or otherwise, and play it. So that's my process. That's my process. And, and I'll talk a bit more about. I'll, I'll, I'll do. I'll do. An, I'll do an outro and just sort of sum things up. But that's what I'm thinking of doing with it. And I'm having sort of lonely fun <laughs> building out Eventide and and finding it as a place to be. Who knows if if it's you know if it's any cop. And I keep keep doing it. Well, well, maybe I'll just stick it as a PDF or drive through or something, and you know, you can you can pick it up if you like and, and have a good laugh at my expense. Anyway, I'll 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 switch to an outro. I'll I'll round up and summarise um, for what what is basically a series of tingles. So there we go. You know, a game of all of seven eight U, UK pounds, uh, a huge toolbox. Tingling, I guess a sort of a, a rediscovery. I'm going to call it a rediscovery of those little corners and places, you know, out there in the internet where I can pick up resources as well. Another look at the old gaming shelf, looking at the different things I already have and thinking of how I might blend them in. Some lonely fun creation and all that on a re-expression of a game that I've known for 40 years. But what fun that's brought. What uh, what sort of imaginative twirling has gone on in my head as a consequence of picking up Stella Gamma Publishing's Cepheus Deluxe. I'm really looking forward to doing more with it. and won't be the last thing that I do with it, I'm sure. But there we are. So I will talk some more in subsequent podcasts, I'm sure, about where I've got to with it and what I'm doing with it. But I come back to the question, I suppose, to round off. Do you tingle? I'd be interested to know. Please, please, please let me know what your last tingle was. What was your last tingle? What game was it? Why did, why did it make you tingle? What was it about it that made you tingle? And what did you do with it? What did you do with it after? Sort of, what was your post tingle? And does it still make you tingle? I suppose is what I, what I want to know. Hopefully, you've got at least one or more tingles on the go. You know, I'd, I'd like to think I've got at least two on the go at the moment. Keeps you young. <laughs> Keeps you young. Keeps you fresh. But yeah, love it. Okay, that's probably it. I'm going to wrap up. It's been really, really nice talking about this. I've, I've wanted to get this... This I want, to, I want to get the tingle out. I've, I've, done a, I've done a YouTube as well, which you can have a look at if you feel like it. But thank you for joining me on this, on this little journey. This little sort of jump off into the dark recesses of Hinterspace. Uh, with Cepheus Deluxe, I'll, I'll leave a link to where you can get it in the show notes. Don't don't feel obliged. I'm sure sh- I'm sure you won't. But it's a nice game, and I would recommend it to you. And if you do pick it up, and you want to do something with it, uh, let me know because I'd, I'd I'd like to hear about that. Cool. Well, without further ado, thanks for listening, and you know I hope you're staying well um, as we continue in the in this pandemic, and that you're enjoying your gaming, uh, and that. F- just as for me, I don't know, it's a, it's a bit, a bit of a sort of a silver lining 
in, in just a few clouds that we have right now. So I hope you're enjoying your gaming. And thanks again for listening in. Cheers and take care.